Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right. Hey, first I got to say, uh, well, Breed, she's in the nursery today. I'm a little upset with her. She probably can hear me. It's because she documented the utter failure of myself riding the bull last Sunday. I thought that it would be easier than what it was, but uh, no, and now there's proof of that. I just wanted to say, hey, I had fun with you guys on that hot, steamy Sunday uh, outside last Sunday. It was fun for you guys um, uh, to be with you guys and to, to share in that fun with the bull, with the water slides, and um, bringing your friends. We had a good crowd and uh, opportunity to tell people uh, why it's important for us to gather and worship and to share that grace and that truth with uh, those in our community. So I'm just happy to be with you guys, happy to share and do ministry as the kingdom, uh, as this local outpost of the kingdom together. Now, let me start today's message, this new series of sermons, by asking this. Questions, just questions in general, are a funny thing, right? Think about it. If someone asks you uh, too many questions when you first meet them, right, when you uh, have a conversation with them for the first time, they ask you too many questions, you feel like you're being interrogated, don't you? Right? Hey, no matter how old, you're, how old you are, if your mom starts to ask too many questions, you feel like you're in trouble, it's truly, no matter your age, you feel like you're in trouble when your mom says, hey, I have a question for you. <laughs> Strikes fear into myself, at least, right? If you spend time with someone and they do not ask you questions, you feel like they're not that interested in you, only interested in themselves. If, you're, if your boss asks too many questions, you get a little nervous a little scared, a little on edge. If, if someone else's boss begins to ask you a bunch of questions, you may think he or she is interested in hiring you, and you're like, yes, right? Now, I, I have a bunch of nieces, and they love to ask questions. Actually, right, you parents know that it's not a bunch of questions, really. It's one question. It's one question, and it's this. Why? Right? Hey, we have conversations with my nieces that go like this. Christina and I will be talking to them. We'll say, sweetheart, you're, you're so beautiful. Why? Well, because God made you that way. Why? Well, because it was his delight to create you. Why? Because your mom couldn't handle a boy. Why? Right? And after a while, I simply run out of answers, and I know that she's probably just, just um, trying to keep asking that question to keep my attention and my engagement, but it's still a funny and an odd thing when we hear questions all the time. You see, Foundry Church, take a, take a look at this. Questions have all kinds of intention behind them, don't they? Some uh, motives are pure. When we're, we're receiving questions or we're asking questions, sometimes they're not so pure. Uh, some questions are innocent. Uh, some are loaded, and we know about that. 
right? But spoken by the right person at the right time, questions can also be a very powerful thing. If you ever watched a great documentary where they're digging into a particular issue or event in, in history, you have seen how questions can move people. You, you can see how they elicit a response and sometimes bring forth new truths and realizations that are powerful and can change the trajectory of someone's life. Even more, have you ever not asked a question and realized the power that it, it held by not asking the question? Man, the, the power and the, the time that it just spends rolling around in your mind. When I was in High school, my dad and I went on a month-long mission trip to Haiti. And it was right after one of the first huge hurricanes had happened. And a group of, of, of my dad's friends who were native Haitian pastors asked him to come and, and fix a tilapia pond. Um, they were, uh, they were preachers, they were uh, ministers in their local communities, but the way they, they made money was they had these big, I call them fish ponds, um, but they ponds that circulated water and they raised tilapia. I, I don't know what they're called. Is there a name for that? All right. Well, they, they farmed fish. That's, that's what it was. And so we went down there and we went to Haiti after this hurricane and we helped uh, build a couple churches, kind of repaired the roofs. We built a, a house with bricks and, and my dad worked on the diesel generators and the engines for these tilapia ponds. And, and we were there and, and word started to get out that there were these rich Americans in town. And now my dad and I by no means were rich. But... <laughs> We were a little different looking, right? He had, he had a big red beard. I was a fat, chubby kid. And, and we were there. And, and, and so word started to spread. Right? We stood out like a, like a sore thumb. And so one day we were out in the market, and a woman came up to meet us. And, and this was not unusual. Like, like we said, we, we stuck out. We were kind of the freak show in the area. And she started talking in a little bit of broken English, and she showed me her baby. Right? I smiled and I said in broken Haitian Creole that the baby was beautiful. She asked me if I wanted to hold the baby. Now, if you know me, you know that little babies are not my thing. I'm a, I'm a more of a two and up kind of fun uncle. Like if you can wrestle and kind of run and have, like, that's, but when you got to hold them like a football, Christina always says, hold them like, that's not my level. All right? I played football, but I was a lineman. I don't hold footballs. So I don't know what she's talking about. But anyways, she handed me the baby. I'm holding the baby. And within a matter of seconds, the woman disappeared. She was gone. She was gone. And I'm standing there, 16-year-old, pale, freckled, chubby self me, holding a baby with no mom in sight. And my dad came over, and he started asking some questions like, cute kid, what's its name? I don't know. I didn't ask. Oh, well, how, how old is it? I'm not sure. I didn't ask. Okay, well, where are the parents? Don't know. The mom disappeared. Um, what was her name? Oh, that would have been a good question to ask, Dad. I don't know. Well, son, you better find her quick because you just adopted a baby. Now, we eventually did find the baby's mom after a good 30 minutes of panic and sweat for me. 
And it would have been a, lot, a little bit easier to find the baby if I had just a tiny, the mom of the baby, if I had just a little tiny bit of information about the child or even the mother or where they were from. But once we found the mom, she told us that she just wanted a better life for the t- child. So our, our translator assured her that the child's life would not be better with a 16-year-old boy who lived in one of the coldest places <laughs> in America. And so she took her baby back. She apologized. And we connected her with Jack, one of the local pastors who uh, could help her and the baby that she loves and wanted a better life for. But we just didn't ask questions. (laughs) So here's the lesson about that day that I almost adopted a nameless child in Haiti. This is what I learned. Asking questions is important. That's what I learned. Asking questions is important. And if I were a betting man, which I think we were all this last week, right? The Mega Millions got us all in line at the 7-Eleven, but if I were to bet, I would say that every single one of us in here has questions for God. We we got questions that we would like to ask. We all have something that we want or need to uh, be explained to us, or or we need a little help understanding a particular issue or a particular story or how things kind of connect and and work together. Uh, We just even want to ask questions so that we can be pointed in the right direction. And so in this new series of sermons that we're beginning and kicking off today, we're going to kind of flip the script a little bit. And we're going to talk about the questions that, that Jesus asked of us. Not necessarily the questions that we want to ask, but I think we'll learn that it's going to answer a lot of our questions. It's just the same. Now, now hearing this, you might think, well, wait, wait, let's just zoom out, Andrew. Right? Jesus, he did not need to ask questions. He is God. He has the answers. All right, touche, you got me. It's true. He is God. He does have the answers. But when, but when we look through the Gospels, Jesus did indeed ask questions. A lot of questions. Some of them were rhetorical. Some were just to kind of spark dialogue. And some were to lead people toward an answer. Right? Listen, we know of Jesus as the greatest teacher of all time. When he was on earth, crowds would gather to hear him speak. And he would command, he would persuade, he would incite, he would, he would confuse, he would influence everybody who came to listen. He was an amazing teller of stories. He was direct when he needed to be. He was subtle at other times. He was puzzling and he was elusive when the situation called for it. And he could also be forceful and authoritative when it needed to be done. The way that Jesus taught, using stories, is just fascinating. But what is interesting is that Jesus loved to ask questions as a part of those stories. And he did this a lot. And he certainly did not need to or, or have to. He could have simply explained everything. He could have told a story that illustrated every point perfectly where there was no question or any uh, confusion about what the answer or about what he was trying to say was there, right? He could have, have peered into people's souls and said exactly what they needed to hear at that particular moment. And one of his incredible tactics was to ask the right question at the exact right time. He, he still invited us into that process of, of figuring it out. Sometimes people were confused. Sure, he was okay with that. Sometimes they were offended. Sometimes they immediately got the point. But not only um, got people thinking these questions, 
He stirred their faith. Right? He stirred their faith. He, he looked into their hearts and just didn't give them what they need. But he pulled something out of them so that they could continue to take steps forward in their faith. Right? In this series, we're going to focus on the questions Jesus asked that stretched people's faith. Founder, what is, is interesting about faith is that a lot of us, especially in the church, seem pretty assured of our faith. Don't we? I really want us to kind of narrow in on this and think about this, right? We believe in God. We adhere to the values of Christianity. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he, he rose again on the third day. We just sang songs about it, right? We know the rules and the laws. We know the, the things that we ought to say and the things that we ought to do. And we have it down to a science, our faith, it's down to a science, it's down to a theory, and we could call it faith by theory. And faith by theory is a given for many of us. It's just a given. Right? But, but here's the thing, faith by theory, it's all right. And we, like we said, we, we know the right stuff, we know what we ought to be doing, but when push comes to shove, when the hammer hits the anvil of our lives, faith by theory is not going to cut it. It's not going to be strong enough. All right, Christina and I decided to kick it old school this week, and we watched the great movie, and I mean great, and if you have a problem with this, talk to me afterward. The great movie Armageddon filmed in 1998, right? <laughs> great movie, Ron... <laughs> Meet me out back. He's shaking his head. All right, great movie. I love Armageddon from the year 1998. Some of you haven't, weren't even alive when this, this cinema masterpiece came out. And for those of you who have not seen this classic movie, the people's, uh, or the whole premise of the movie centers around this massive asteroid that is headed toward the Earth. And the only way to destroy it is to send up the, these astronauts into outer space, drill an 800-foot deep hole, place a nuclear bomb in it, and then split the asteroid in two pieces so that it narrowly passes Earth and doesn't create this, this disaster, this Armageddon disaster. Well, in the, in the movie, NASA calls in some expert drillers to help with the drilling machines and you know, to kind of teach the astronauts how to use them while they're up on this asteroid. And these, uh, these expert drillers are noticing problems. They're, they're having issues with the machines. And, and within a matter of minutes, the expert, played by Bruce Willis, says to NASA in not-so-nice words, is this the best you got? Like talking to, about the astronauts. Right? He's saying, is this the best you got? Because if, if they're supposed to drill, we're all going to be dead in a few weeks. Because they're not going to do it. They, they, they don't cut it. Right? And so NASA decides to send into outer space the actual drillers. Right, the, the, the roughnecks that were working out on the oil fields just days earlier. Right, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil the ending, but just get your tissues ready, Ron. Get your <laughs> tissues ready. Right, here, here's what Bruce Willis and the men of NASA knew. Right, practical experience, practical experience beats theory 100% of the time when the fate of the world is at stake. Right, when push comes to shove... 
right? Theory was out the window, and we had to bring in the guys that could actually get it done, right? Our faith is no different. Practical faith, faith that has been tested, faith, faith that has been wrestled with, faith that has experienced the highs and the lows. Well, that faith beats faith in theory, faith in, in rules, faith in, in religion, just checking off boxes 100% of the time, right? When, when stuff hits the fan, when things get real, Our faith has got to be real. just can't be a theory. It just can't be something just kind of bobbling around up in our head. Listen, for a lot of my life, I believed in God and, and what he represented. But when it came down to living out my faith and making it a personal part of my existence, a lot was lacking. I believed, but I was not forging a lifelong reliance on God. I did not question the existence of God or the values of the Bible. I just had no bearing. It had no bearing on my everyday life. And if you're anything like me, right, there may be some reasons why faith is more of an idea than it is a practice. Right? That, that is a huge tension that we need to attack head on. That we need to face, and it's the onion that we're going to peel this morning. Right? Think of it, of it like this. Faith is easy when life is easy. When life is difficult, faith is difficult. Right? Think about all the successful athletes. All the successful athletes who acknowledge God when they have won. Or the musicians and actors who talk about their belief in God when they have reached the pinnacle of their craft. Now, what about the people who lose? <laughs> what about the people we never hear about or the people who never make it to the top, the people that we just don't know their names? Now, I have observed uh, this behavior in many people in church and in faith. The same thing. Right? I've noticed it in my own life. Right? When, when my prayers are being answered, when my family is healthy and, and when there is money in the bank account, praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> but when my, my, my dad, for example, was extremely sick and eventually passed away earlier this year, my faith was a little shaky. Right? The pain was real. Right? Things, things became real. And, and you cannot cling tight to the rules of religion when things get bad. Right? When, when you have no money in the account and there's no job on the horizon to make it change, our doubts can loom large. When we haven't spoken to our wives without arguing for what seems like months and months and there's no joy in sight. When we, we can wonder where God is in all of that. Right? When, when you've been trying to have a baby for years, and yet another month comes and goes with no positive pregnancy test. Uncertainties can begin to bubble up to the surface. When you, when you get a call from your doctor, and they say, come in, there's a diagnosis, and you just know. Some shaky ground. Some shaky ground. Right? Many people walk away from faith, not because they, they question some aspect of Christianity, but because they experienced terrible things, or they got burned by church, or things did not go the way that they thought God would make them go. So they're confused, and they got questions, and they don't know how to answer and ask them. Their circumstances put their faith to the test and did not win out in the end. Right, faith can also seem a little sentimental 
than it is personal. Right, think about that. Sometimes our faith is a little bit more sentimental than it is personal. Maybe our faith is a byproduct of our parents' faith or our, our pastor's faith. It's just something we do because we're supposed to do it. It's a, it's a tradition. It's an expectation in our household. It it's, it's feels good to be a part of a community that encourages us and gives us hope. And, and all that is great. We dug into that last week. But sometimes faith is simply another thing in our lives that helps us cope with reality or even escape from reality. And I'm telling you, faith is much more than just that. Right? It is not our reality. It's not, it's not woven into every aspect of our faith when we make it about that. It's not woven into our lives from top to bottom. We're not forging a lifelong reliance on God when we're just like, oh, this is something I, I use when I need it. Right? And sometimes faith feels like it exclusively belongs to the super Christians. People we see on TV or we follow on the gram. That's Instagram. <laughs> right? we seem, we seem, these people, we see these people and they seem to be masters of their faith. It's like they never doubt. It's like they, they, they never have to ask questions. Their confidence in God and his word never, never wavers. They seem to remain un, unshakable in the face of everything. I used to see people like that, and I would think, man, I could, I could never have a faith that matches their faith. Man, I, I don't know enough. I, I don't pray enough. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. But here, Foundry Church is the cool thing. Right, the, the exciting thing today, we're going to look at a question real quick here that Jesus asked that not only boosts our faith, it can actually simplify our approach to faith. So not only boost our faith, boost our faith in the God of the universe, but also simplify our approach so that we can do this 24-7, 365, right? So it can be the forging factor as we forge a lifelong reliance on God. So get your Bible out and let's look at this story. We're going to be in John chapter 11 here in just a second. <clears throat> Now, if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, the Bible is divided into two sections. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. The Old Testament chronicles the events that happened before Jesus arrived on earth. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament documents uh, when Jesus walked on earth and the beginning of Christianity and the church. The church that we strive to be like. The church that we created on the day of Pentecost and Acts in the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. And these are the accounts of Jesus' life when he lived among us. And one of the Gospels is the book of John. It was written by a close follower of Jesus, right, one of his disciples. And many people believe that it was written to a wide audience. That, that the book of John was, was written to both believers and unbelievers alike. And so unlike the other Gospels, the, the Gospel of John is not directed at a Jewish audience. It seems to have been written for everybody. All right, John documents a moment that includes one of Jesus' Jesus's greatest miracles and also a question that still matters for us today. All right, so let's read the story. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Let me turn there now. Look at that, I already had my bookmark there, didn't use it. 
A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. All right, so verse 3 says this. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Keep your finger there. Now notice how they appeal to Jesus' emotions. Right? They say, Lord, your dear friend is sick. Hey, boss. <laughs> the head honcho. I'm going to give you all the honor. <laughs> your buddy is sick. Right, two things. First, Jesus knew this. Right? He knew this. Right? And Jesus loved Lazarus. We read that earlier. Right? Jesus was very close to Lazarus and his entire family. This was one of his best friends that we know. Right? He knows that Lazarus is sick. And second, before we judge anyone in this story, you and I will act the same way as these two sisters. As someone who was close to us was sick. Right? We, would, we would appeal to God in any way we thought he would listen and respond to. Right? Many of us do this now. We say, Lord, the, this person in our life is, is sick. Do something. Lord, don't you care if you heal them? I'll never sin again. Right? We make promises that we never intend to keep. We, we remind God how wonderful this person who's sick is. But just like Lazarus... God already knows, and he loves them already. Right, look, look at how he responds to his disciples and, and us today. Verse 4, same chapter, says, But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Keep your finger there. So Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death. He says, it's okay, guys. I know what's coming next. And then he and the, the disciples, they wait two more days before heading back to where Lazarus was. Why did Jesus wait? Good question. I'm not sure. I don't know. Right? Maybe it was because it was dangerous for them to travel. That's one of the main um, Bible scholar theories. It was dangerous for Jesus to travel. Jesus knew that it was not his time to be arrested and crucified yet, so he kind of had to wait. You know, there was troops out there, Roman guards. Maybe he was, he was setting up a miracle so it would be a little bit more dramatic and memorable. Maybe uh, the Father God, God told him to wait. Whatever the reason, Jesus did not respond right away. And that is important as we get here through this story and see this question. It's important for us to see this part of it. Right? When we appeal... When we appeal to Jesus with all of our guts and our soul, with everything that we have for God to step in and work in a situation, it does not mean that he's going to respond right away. That's a tough pill to swallow, but it's true. You, yeah, he always hears us. We take hope in that. We take comfort in that. 
He always hears us. He always cares about us, and he loves us, but he won't always answer our prayer in the time frame, in the timeline that we want or with the answer we want. Right? And if he did, that would mean that we're God and he's not. If he just did whatever we asked, right? Right? This is why it is so important for our faith muscles, our, our discipline, to be strengthened for times like this. For us to be strong in our faith for times like this. When we're in these situations like Mary and Martha are. Why faith just can't be a theory. Right? And, and so Jesus, he eventually arrived in Lazarus' hometown. And John continues. Jump down to verse uh, 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Jesus was too late. He was way too late. They had already had friends, and they already had families come to the house. Mary and Martha were being comforted by these friends, by these families. The funeral potatoes and the, the, the fried chicken and all the, all the cold cuts had been brought out. They're on the counter, right? It was over. And then John captures this next detail in verse 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Now, I, this is, you know, I, I imagine that Mary was upset with Jesus. I'm not going out there. You go out there. I don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. Right? When life does not go the way that we want, when, when God does not show up in the way that we expect, we tend to take a step back from Jesus, don't we? When we're struggling with that diagnosis, when we're struggling with this relationship, when we're, we're dealing with struggles from, from our kids, or, or, or when we're dealing with just whatever is going on, and, and we've been praying, and we've been asking, and we don't see the end, and, and God doesn't seem to be listening, we tend to take a step back, like Mary did, right? Founder, we've all been there. We've all been there. When life does not go the way that we want, when God does not show up in the way that we expect, we tend to take a step back from Jesus. And then John records a powerful uh, conversation between Jesus and Martha. Let's, let's read it, 21 through 26. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right off the bat. All right, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, though, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Okay, Martha. All right, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Keep your finger there. Now Jesus just threw down some huge statements. And then he says this. Do you believe? Do you believe? 
In this moment, when emotions were running high and faith was, was running low, Jesus asked Martha a pivotal question, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe? Do you believe I am who I say I am? This was not a, a question about religion. This was not a question about doctrines. In fact, she had just talked about how Lazarus would rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus knew that she believed in the right things. Jesus knew that she had the right phrases. She knew the right doctrines. She knew. But he wanted to know if she believed in him. That's what he wanted to know. Jesus wanted to know, do you believe in me, Martha? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? Do you believe that I am the life? Do you believe that I am the Messiah, the Savior? Do you believe? And this is our first big takeaway from a question that Jesus asked. Faith is about the person of Jesus more than the rules of the religion. Our faith is about being connected to Jesus. That's what it's about. Our faith is forging a lifelong reliance upon God. Not about checking off the boxes. Not about doing X, Y, Z. Right, forging our life on God from top to bottom, following Him as our King is about connecting to in a powerful, powerful way, knowing, believing in the person and the Lordship of Jesus. Right, when it comes to faith, Jesus wants us to trust Him, period, full stop. It's about Jesus. Right, Jesus wants to have a connection with us. As we journey through life, as we forge a lifelong reliance upon him, not just here and now, but for all of eternity. So more than believing in ideas and doctrines, Jesus wants us to put our confidence in who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. He beat death. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He is the vine. He is the gatekeeper. He is the way. He is the truth. He's the son that God sent to take away the sins of the world. He is the word of God, as it says earlier on in the book of John. He who came to life for us. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He is the great I am. That is what Jesus was asking. He says, okay, you may have all these rules in your mind, all these doctrines, all these these methods, but they will not raise your brother from the dead, Martha. I will. Do you believe in me? And Martha answered his question this way, verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God. The one who has come into the world from God. (laughs) Whereas earlier she was answering with doctrine. Good doctrine. She answered correctly. Now she's answering focused on the person of Jesus. Not Not the right phrases. Not the right 
worship song, not the right Bible verse. She said, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you can do what you say you can do, and I trust in you. Foundry, Foundry Church, whether things look good or bad, Martha's faith was anchored in Jesus, the truth and the source of life after death and life on earth for her in that moment. So eventually Mary joined Martha and Jesus. They all wept together, including Jesus. And Jesus asked to go to the tomb. He performed an incredible miracle, and Lazarus walked out of the grave alive. You read it. Right? In that moment, no one could question the power of Jesus. No one. And so as the, the band comes up, let us ask this. How can this story, this miraculous story, relate to you and to me today? Right? Well, what can we take away from it? Because it's no use if we don't take something away from it. The first thing that we can do is ask ourselves the same question Jesus asked Martha, do you believe? <laughs> do you believe and place your hope in the ideas, doctrines, and traditions of Christianity, or do you trust in the person of Jesus? Right, whether things go our way or not, do, do we have confidence in his power? Do we receive his love for us and trust him as the source of life? That's the question. Do we believe? The next question I want you to ask is this. What is your Lazarus? Think about that. Right? What is an area of life where your confidence has been shaken or tested? Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe it's something that you kind of got past, but it's still there in the back of your mind. In what circumstances are you tempted to stay in the house and withdraw from Jesus because things are not going your way? So you're just going to stay in the house like Mary did. I want to encourage you to invite Jesus into that grave. Whatever it is. Right? Like Martha, go out and meet him. That's, that's forging. And that's what we're about here. That's, that's putting hammer to the anvil and doing the work. Tell him how you're feeling. Be real with him. Be authentic. And then take him to the place where your faith is struggling. Right? God wants, to have, uh, wants us to have a full and abundant life. Not just after we die and join him, but right here, right now. He is our Messiah. So let's lean into the person of Jesus in every area of our lives, especially the areas where it seems grim or difficult. Because remember, right, faith is about the person of Jesus, right, more than the rules of the religion. Jesus is not inviting us to be perfect and to know everything. Because we can't. He's inviting us to put our hope and trust in him. Church, doctrines, beliefs are good. But ultimately, Jesus is stretching our faith to be about a personal connection with him. So let's stand together right now. Let's worship him. And as we sing this last song, ask yourselves those questions. Do you believe in Jesus and who he is? And if you haven't given your life to Christ... 
I would love to talk to you about how you do that. How you used to say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I hear you. I hear the gospel. I hear what you've done for me. I understand that there's a separation. I believe in you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I, I, I admit and confess that I've been forging my life on everything but you. And I want it to be about you now. And then ask yourselves, what is your Lazarus? Right, what's keeping you in the house? What's causing you to step away? Think about those as we stand and sing and worship our Lord this morning.